again, like an athlete, where you strike out so many times that it's not a thing anymore. You just know. If you're looking at our rejections and failures, it's amazing. It's overwhelming. It's constant. You cannot think of that as a rejection or a failure or a no or a pass or whatever that language that you've been taught is, because that's what people are quote unquote afraid of, right? They're afraid of a no or a pass or whatever. There is no fear. You have to think of it as this is just a step. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is David Knoll, co-founder and co-president of Keller Knoll. David and his partner, Cleve Keller, joined together exclusively in 2007 to form Keller Knoll. With 50-plus series together, they have become one of the most successful TV development teams in the world. David has created, sold, and produced 50-plus series and over 3,300 episodes, both in the U.S. and around the world. Some of these include Chopped, Chopped Junior, Chopped Champions, Dinner Takes All, Face the Truth, Punchline, and many, many more. David Knoll is referred to as a TV mastermind by Emmy Magazine, a television formats powerhouse by C21 Magazine, and he also is a two-time Emmy Award winner, two-time Gracie Award winner, and he won the coveted James Beard Award for Best Television Series, Chopped. David is also a fiery and insightful keynote speaker whose unique look at the business world, his light-up-the-room storytelling, and tangible, practical tips have thrilled and inspired audiences from Los Angeles to Miami to New York. Listen in and hear about David's journey to becoming a television powerhouse and being responsible for over a half a billion in television sales. Well, hello, buddy. Larry Sprung here, and I have the great opportunity to be with David Knoll, co-founder and co-president of Keller Knoll. I can't wait to share him and his story. Welcome to the show, David. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. I am extremely happy to be here and just honored. Thank you, Lawrence. This is yeah, awesome. It's great having you. So, What I want to do is introduce you to our audience, and can you tell us about your path to launching Keller Knoll and being responsible for so many successful series and TV shows? (laughs) (laughs) I always say in television, no path ever looks the same. Everybody's path is totally crazy. Any successful television show is a complete miracle, and not only is it a miracle, but it's like 72 different miracles that have to happen (laughs) along the way. But I started, I went to American University and majored in communications. And the reason I went to American, I did a whole bunch of college tours, and I didn't really know what I was looking for. And American University had this big, on the side of the campus, tucked away in the back, behind a parking lot, they had this big, old, ancient, empty TV studio. And they were in that studio at that point in time, working on a game show. And we walked in 
it was on the tour. They pointed it out. And I said to my dad, we got to go back. So we walked in and they're working on this game show. And I was like, wait, so there's a studio here and just a bunch of kids going crazy making a game show. And they said, yeah. And I said, what else do you do? And they said, at that point, they did just a news program and a game show and maybe one other thing. And then it was open the other nights of the week. And I was like, I want to literally, I want to go to school here because I could make a game show with my friends. This is amazing. And so I ended up going to American University and I ended up starting a late night talk show hosted by me just because no one else wanted to do it. So I hosted it and we did it for two years. And then my co-host took over. And then my brother, who's much more talented than much funnier than I am, took the show over. And then we were able much later, I then started working at MTV Networks for MTV and VH1 and doing a bunch of projects for uh, Nickelodeon and Comedy Central, and then was able to pitch that show. His version was called Midnight with Chris Knoll. And then we pitched that show to Comedy Central and got it on the air as the Chris Wilde show starring Chris Wilde. Sadly, it only lasted a season, but it was an amazing journey. And that's really what kicked me off into creating television shows. I am just a person, and it is, I I don't know where it comes from, who has these ideas for shows that are like, some days it's like popcorn just firing off, and some days they're like fireworks, and some days they're like nightmares. Like, oh my God, that would be the perfect show. I have to get it on the air. Were you a TV junkie growing up? Yes. I mean, my parents would say yes. I didn't think I was a crazy person, but at one point... I have heard this kind of theory. If you're looking for what to do in life, if you're looking, if you're searching or hunting for your calling, go back to you at age 10 or 11. And at that point, think, what did you really focus on when there were no walls put up for you, when you could do whatever, when you were just running around a park or whatever you were doing before all the no's, before the walls are put up. And I've heard this kind of theory, and that is a great place to find what your calling was. And I always thought that was interesting, and I would have said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I ran around a lot and played sports and watched a lot of TV and whatever. But it was funny. My mom, a couple of years ago, had this folder, and I had totally forgotten, but she had this folder of these lists that I kept of television shows. And it was like... It was like these like, were actual TV shows on TV or, th- yeah, or ideas like a, that you had. Like a crazy person, I would list here's the top 40 shows of the week. I would get the life section, the purple section of the USA Today on Wednesdays. I would go and buy it myself, save my money up to buy the USA Today because they would have the ratings on Wednesdays. Imagine my disappointment, by the way, when like I would save up my whatever it was, 10 cents or 25 cents. And then they would be like, the ratings are postponed till tomorrow. And I'm like, this is the only reason I bought this thing. (laughs) Refund. (laughs) So I then would list out, here's the top 40 shows this week and like keep these crazy charts. I would also, every single year in the fall, so as the new shows were coming out for ABC, NBC, CBS, and Fox, I would make my own grids. Here's how I would program this network if I was in charge. So clearly- 
There was you something there. had a propensity there. for this. I, I would clearly like, yeah, it was like a beautiful mind <laughs> with string and tacks on the wall. So, I mean, um, listen, there aren't many people like you that have had <laughs> that success. True. Well, yeah, oh. that have had success of and being able to say that they've created 50 plus TV series and over 3,300 episodes. I mean, the accomplishment is huge. What do you attribute that success to? Well, there's a couple big moments in my life. One was when my boss at the time, I was working at MTV Networks, my boss at the time, Bill Brand, who every time I see him, I thank him over and over again, called me into his office and basically said, you're creating all these shows and it's not your job to do this. You are breaking the process. The process is people from the outside pitch us shows and then they make money <laughs> if the shows do well. And what happens from the inside is you pitch shows and then you might get a 2%. Ra- if this show is a huge hit, you might get a 2% raise or whatever. But he was basically like, look, my advice to you, just as a person that respects you, is you should leave and then pitch us shows from the outside because that is the process. That is what is supposed to happen. And I had this silly moment where I was like talking to my wife and going, I think I believe this is true. He might be just nicely trying to get rid of me. (laughs) I might be so annoying at this point that I didn't really know. But God bless my wife. She was like, yeah, I think he's right. You should do it. And so I did it. And then it took a couple years to, I got a couple deals. It takes forever to get any show on the air. It took a couple years Finally, to meet this amazing woman, Cleve Keller, who I still work with, but she marched into my office in 2003 and pitched me a show. And I was like, at that point, I had taken over a thousand pitches. So in just two years, I just went out to anyone in New York. I was like, look, I'm going to pitch these networks. I need show ideas. Pitch them to me. Pitch, 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 pitch. So I had my own stuff, but like comedians, writers, producers, executives, anyone with a show idea, I basically said yes. And she came in. It was like hearing lots of different people play piano for two years and then Mozart comes in (laughs) and you're just like, well, that's amazing. And she pitched me this idea that was so clean and so concise and so brilliant. And I thought, I know I can sell that show. I think I can sell that show in one phone call. I didn't tell her this, but that's what I wrote on my yellow notepad. I'm going to call Vlad Wolinets at AMC. This guy's a genius. I think he's going to love this. And then I was like, maybe she's just lucky. Maybe this is like, she lucked onto this great idea. And so I said, just pitch me one more show. And the second show was just as good as the first. And I sold that first show in one phone call to Vlad Wolinets at AMC and went to series. It only lasted a season like most shows, but that started a relationship. And now Cleve and I still work together to this day. And in 2007, we joined together because it took me four years of begging to say to her, stop producing stuff and <laughs> pitching with other people for crying. Do not pitch with anybody else. You're killing me right now. Join me. And she kept saying no. And one day I called and said, this is the last chance, Cleve Keller, which it wasn't. <laughs> I would have kept calling. And she finally joined me. So we've been together now since 2007. So your boss at MTV, he really, oh. really did you a huge favor by telling you you should be going elsewhere. It was really amazing. It was very, very nice. And Bill Brand, he taught me a lot. You know how you have these bosses over time 
And then it's only as you get more experience that you're able to look back and go, oh, shoot, that guy. I don't know how long he was my boss, two years, but whatever it was, three years. He taught me a couple of really concrete things that I still take with me to this day. That's amazing. Listen, it seems like what you're doing, obviously, it's very creative. It takes a lot of work, especially to have a hit. What's the mindset needed by somebody like you in order to be able to stay focused enough to remain and fire up those creative juices so you can put that hit together? What's the mindset? You're a sports lover. I know that about you. Yes. I find it to be very similar to the athlete mindset. Cleve and I, like, what is frustrating about our job is that we're not lawyers and we have to be. And we're not production managers. And you have to be all of these things because you create the show and then no one helps you really. They say, oh, we're interested. We'll do a development deal. We'll do a pilot. Then you work on that and it has to be amazing. And then they say, okay, it gets the series. And you're building a team. But the whole time you have to guide this show up until the point where there's a machine in place, like there is obviously for Chopped at this point. It's over 900 episodes across the franchise. Or America Says, which is our game show, it's over 400 episodes now. There's a machine in place, right? And so that is becomes much easier. But to build that machine is very, very hard. But meanwhile, you have to create to sell 50 plus shows. And by the way, that's 50 plus series. We've sold 200 plus right. over the years. It just never made it to air. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them. But you have to do it every single day. As I say, it's like a basketball player. You can't just have talent and then trip onto a basketball court. You have to be out there every single day. I'm constantly reading business books, but I'm also constantly reading sports books. Yeah, you can't dabble. Exactly. You just you have to throw yourself into it. And every pitch, Cleve and I go through a ton of coffee because we're coffee people. <laughs> and because every pitch you have to be on. Like we pitch like Jordan played that's you know right. jordan was like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna play every every single game like it's the most important game i've ever played and that is how we pitch we prepare we talk we discuss we worry we agonize we look at the language of the pitch we look at the visuals we take every single pitch like this one could be chopped so yeah. it better be amazing yeah, I think that's a great point. And I think it's a really good point for our entrepreneurs that are uh, listening out absolutely. there. Absolutely. Or even if you're an employee in a company and you have a key role, because I think that that's really what you have to do to become successful is become the master of the craft. You can't be a jack of all trades, master of none, as they say. I think I like to say you have to be a, a half an inch deep and a mile wide almost, you know, and you know, you don't want to be that. Basics, like Jordan, right? You're going to go out there every day and be competitive. Absolutely. So are a lot but, of other people. Yeah. <laughs> but what also helps is to play, and if you're an entrepreneur or if you're just working at a business, to play every day with a sense of enjoyment. I've talked to a lot of managers. I've talked to a lot of CEOs. I've talked to a lot of people who oversee vast numbers of people. They want to see people who work really hard and are focused every day, but they also want people who bring a sense of joy to the work, a sense of enjoyment. This is the job you chose. If it's a random Tuesday, 
whatever job you're doing, you chose that job. That is your choice. Right. Enjoy it. And I think 99% of the time, that will help you. Now, look, it's not always going to work. And Cleve and I are the these examples of we face failure, massive failure every single day, like constantly people taking these pitches that we think are absolutely perfect. This is what you're looking for. We have crafted the perfect show. Clearly, this is the next chopped. And then they pass and they pass in an insulting way. You often, you know, like they say things and your mind is blown. I was like, do you know who we are? (laughs) I don't say that to them, but let's talk about chop for a second because you mentioned it and it's one of your biggest successes, which I have to say in full disclosure to you and everybody else, it is a huge excitement with my family. We love watching the show. We've sat incessantly in front of the TV to watch that show. My kids, since they were little, love watching that show. How did that show come to be? First of all, I love you. I love your family. I love all the choices you guys are making. Very, very smart family. As I say, I've been creating shows a long time. At one point, it was 2007. 2007. Cleve and I were based in New York. We were working with this brilliant creative executive named Mike Krupat, and he was based in LA. And Mike and I had had a series of discussions. We were obsessed with this show called Eliminate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it'll all come clear to you since you've seen Chopped. But uh, Eliminate was this trashy, trashy show. And by the way, I'm not saying Mike and I would watch episodes of Eliminate. And, and it was research. Exactly. <laughs> but we would study that show and the way they moved from beat to beat in that format. And was, was it was a woman who would go on this date with four guys and eliminate one of them at key times right after the commercial break throughout the show until she, there was one guy left and then they would jump in the jacuzzi together and everything was great. Classy, <laughs> classy television. <laughs> classy television. Was um, that we in were the Maury Povich era? Exactly. There was, <laughs> there was Jenny Jones and Maury Povich. Go. It was great times. We were obsessed with how great that was and how much that moved and how interesting that was. And could that be done for other genres? And then obviously we were also obsessed at that point, Food Network had a show called Iron Chef and Iron Chef's one of the great formats of all time, but we really studied Iron Chef. I remember watching four episodes one day and just when you watch and are studying a show and you watch four or five episodes in a row you start to realize things that the producers are doing, the choices that people have made for better or worse. And one of the things we noticed about Iron Chef was later in the episode, two thirds of the way in, maybe even just halfway and it started to get boring because there's, it's just two chefs and they're just cooking one meal. Right. And so I was about to pitch the great Charles Norlander at the Food Network. Charles is extremely smart. I have always found him very intimidating. He always dresses well. He has these great glasses. Maybe that's it. It's the, He's very well-spoken. And I was about to pitch Norlander. It didn't have any shows that I loved. And Mike called me the day before, two days before, whatever it was. And we had been calling this Eliminate format a 4-3-2-1 because there's four guys, and it goes down to three, and then two, and then one. Um, so we, Mike called and was like, well, what if we did a 4-3-2-1 for cooking? And I was like, oh, my gosh, of course, it's brilliant. <laughs> In the next, I think we came up with the word chopped four minutes later. It was literally like 
Mike said, so I, you know, it was, I think actually he said, what if it's five chefs? And I was like, that seems like a little too much. What if it's four? And then it's three competitions. And then he said, it's appetizer, main course, dessert. I was like, oh my God, you're <laughs> And I was like feverishly writing notes and then back and forth. And then I said, it's that silver dome. I didn't know what it was called at that point. And he lifts it up and that's the meal. That's, it's like that American Idol moment or whatever. And I'm like, oh, and he says, you've been chopped. It's called chopped. <laughs> and we went completely crazy. That is amazing. But what's insane about that story is Cleve and I have had moments like that so many. I mean, we had one last week where we're like, this is the greatest show of all time. And the odds are 99 times out of 100, maybe more, you know, 999 times out of 1,000, that show hits air and no one's ever heard of it, or it doesn't even make air, or you don't even pitch it for some reason. So that it all worked. I mean, I pitched that in 2007. It took us two years and two pilots to get it to air. And if you looked at the pilot, you would say, this is exactly the show that you guys had. You know, And that whole journey was right. crazy, but it made it. Well, Chopped sounds a lot better than a Lima chef. Exactly. <laughs> so, exactly. So, you know, and, but to go in it. and say it's basically Iron Chef meets Eliminate right. was a big moment because obviously no one had ever said that to him before, right? Like the Food Network had not heard that pitch. That's yeah. an eye no, that, That's amazing. Now, to kind of dovetail on that, like the Chopped Junior series, was that thought about from the beginning or was that just <laughs> a formulation from just the simple success of Chopped itself saying, hey, why don't we do this for a younger format to kind of get them involved and interested also in the franchise? Almost every moment on that show took years of pushing. Cleve and I worked for Barry Diller for four years. Barry Diller, if you're listening to this podcast and you don't know Barry Diller, you should look him up and study him. And we worked with him for four years. He's a billionaire. He runs IAC. He started the Fox Network with The Simpsons and Tracy Ullman and Married with Children. He ran ABC for a while. He is brilliant. As I say, of the 20 smartest things I've ever heard in television, I think 17 or 18 of them were for Barry Diller, working for him for those four years. Diller drilled into us, Cleve and I, build the franchise. At one point said, don't bring me any show, nothing. Don't pitch me anything unless you see a clear, clear, concise path to $100 million or more. I don't want to hear any idea. You guys know a lot. You don't see a path to $100 million. If we're only going to make $5 million, I don't care. If we're only going to make $20 million, I don't care. And that set us on this path to constantly thinking about the franchise, constantly think about global. Television, there's many examples of $100 million shows, right? And if you kind of take a step back, you can imagine what they are. Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Family Feud, The Today Show, The Tonight Show, Saturday Night Live, Law & Order, NCIS. There's all these shows. And then odd ones, Trading Spaces, uh, House Hunters is a huge Mm -hmm. show. Right. There's a show called Come Dine With Me, which is the biggest money-making hit show. It was was the biggest money-making hit show for like three different years globally, even though it never hit in America. What Diller focused us on was look at these gigantic hits. What are the similarities? And he knew what they were because he's brilliant. And that's your goal. So very, very quickly, we said to the Food Network, we would like versions of Chopped around the world. We would like Chopped Canada, Chopped Italy, Chopped France. We would like Chopped Junior. 
but it took years to get to where they said yes to Chop Jr. Now there's been, I don't know how many versions. It depends on yeah. how you count. Sometimes <laughs> actual, their own series, you know, there's been 10 versions. My takeaway from what you learned from Barry Diller is, especially in your industry where your success rate is so low. Yeah. You try to put out all this great content. And like you said, 999 out of a thousand probably aren't going to work. Yep. So if you're going to focus on that one, you want to make sure that you have a big vision for it and that it has a big opportunity because that, I guess, would also increase your success ratio to hopefully be better than that 999 out of a thousand. Absolutely. Because if you can sell that vision to the network and they can see that and feel that and they can envision a hundred million dollars versus five million, I'm sure that's much, much more interesting to them. And I think if you translate it to any business, there's a reason why you have to have that vision. And if you have that vision and you get everybody to buy into that vision, it helps you be more successful in the long run, quite frankly. Absolutely. And know going in that you need to be able to back up that vision. That's why part of his thing was a clear path. Because I'll say that line to people and I'm like, this guy is brilliant on multiple levels. It wasn't just the $100 million is obviously very memorable, (laughs) (laughs) but the clear, concise path. That's the key because Charles Norlander from the Food Network will say very, very early on, maybe even in the first meeting, I said, this could be your jeopardy. This could be something you put on multiple nights a week to lead into other shows. This could be something where you stripped it and you can marathon this. And every Tuesday night, you could have five episodes. And I'm sure he thought I was a crazy person, right? Right. But crafting Chopped from the beginning, the whole goal was we... Mike, Krupat, myself, Cleve, we loved the idea of it's almost like a sporting event. Like <laughs> early on, we said we think, because Food Network at that point, viewership tilted female. Right. We said we think this is the type of show that men and women will be interested in because it is like a sporting event. There's going to be a winner at the end of the competition component. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You're not investing in these characters over the course of seasons, although people obviously fall in love with our judges. And they do invest in those judges over the course of seasons. So it has that element as well. But thinking as grand as possible, that's just what we do. There's a lot of people who craft insanely amazing documentaries and they make one documentary every two years. I'm not saying that's not a valuable path. Obviously it is. But our path is let's try to create flipping Wheel of Fortune (laughs) (laughs) or Survivor. Let's try that. So to some degree, do you attribute your success to generating over a half a billion dollars in television sales to that Barry Diller mentorship, Uh, if you will? 100%. You could just see it took us forever to get to 500 episodes. But as soon as that sunk in, what he was trying to teach us, that's how you go to 1,000 episodes, 1,500, 2,000, now 3,000. I would like 10,000. I don't know if we're ever going to get there, but it's that mindset of look at these projects that have enormous potential, Mm -hmm. enormous potential. There was a point where I realized, oh, there's a lot of people out there who are quote unquote big thinkers. And the problem with that is that Again, 99 times out of 100, you're not. You're not as smart as Barry Diller. You think you're a big thinker, but 
this guy is thinking so much bigger than you on so many levels. Calm down, take a breath, study everything, and try to be a huge thinker. That's what his message landed on me. It was like, don't think big. There was a moment, this moment that resonates in my head, and it will forever, where we thought we had crushed it. We pitched a show to this very high-end network, and they immediately gave us, I think it was... 10 episodes, $600,000. We had the talent and it was straight to series. No development, no pilot, bang. And I was so thrilled. I was like, we are amazing. We're the most talented people because this never happens. And so I went into that boardroom because monthly we would have these big meetings, very scary meetings with Barry Diller and these (laughs) scary people on the screens and lawyers, the scariest people ever. And they would be there. And I walked into that meeting with this colorful chart thing, pages with this golden binder clip. (laughs) I looked, my wife was like, you look great today. And I was like, this is the most expensive clothes I have. I am telling these people about this show. And I went through the whole presentation in a concise manner with all the numbers or whatever. And he said, why are we doing this again? And I was like, I thought he was kidding. Literally. So I laughed. (laughs) Well, obviously... (laughs) I don't know if uh, you didn't see here on page four. <laughs> I'm brilliant. And Did you see Cleve the gold amazing. clip? <laughs> There's a gold fighter clip. And he slid the whole presentation across this giant conference table. And I remember the hearing the gold binder clip sliding towards me. And he said, it's an effing lemonade stand. This is a family show. So I edited right. him. He did not use the letter. He used the word. And then he walked me through in like three minutes, how this particular show, you could only ever do 10 episodes a year. He's like, it'll never last beyond three seasons. You can't franchise this at all. There's no spinoff possible. He listed all of these reasons why this show, and he was like, so congratulations, this particular property, the most you'll ever make is like for his company, you know, for Barry Diller, was 5 million, 8 million, maybe. And he was exactly right. God bless him. He was exactly right. And that's why I thought, okay, don't think big. I was a big thinker that day. I thought, oh, this is a big thing. And he was on a level so far above. Before you go into any, especially as an entrepreneur, if you're looking to do something huge, you can't just be a big thinker. You have to relax, get all the information, know everything. I think the other takeaway is listen to your mentors. Oh, gosh. You know, well, you know, yeah. know pick them right <laughs> and listen to them. I mean, that's my takeaway. He was a huge mentor to you and it's probably saved you a lot of heartache and headache ever since then because of following that piece of advice. Absolutely. So let's shift for a minute. And I think you touched on this, right? We were talking about, you talk about don't ever think big. And I think that's what you refer to is what that story right yeah. there is. You really have to, you know, if you're going to think big, You might be thinking big in your mind, and then you have to kind of take it to the next level and really blow the top off that thing to really think huge like you've never thought before, which is something as kids, I think you referred it back in the beginning, like, you know, when you think about when you were 11 years old, think about what you were doing and what you enjoyed. At that point, we have no limitations. We have, you know, where the world is our oyster. We can dream. And somehow as we get older, we kind of lose that. And I think that that's what you're referring to is dream huge. Pretend like you're a kid. Lay down on the front lawn. Look 
look at the clouds and really think about how you can make this not big, but tremendous, huge, bigger than you ever thought about, right? Absolutely. And it really, being around him for four years, and he's, look, he's not a crazy person in any way. I mean, he's extremely scary (laughs) every moment. His existence, his brain, I mean, he parked his yacht across the street, and that alone is very intimidating. But the thought of, oh, you're working in an industry where this much success can happen. Cleve and I, all the time, people think of game shows in a ridiculously trashy way, right? Like, oh, you're just a game show creator is what I get a lot. Right. Diller didn't look at it that way. Diller looked at it as Wheel of Fortune, Jeopardy, Price is Right, Family Feud, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, Deal or No Deal. But also then Survivor, American Idol, America's Got Talent, The Voice, Shark Tank. As I say, House Hunters, Chopped, MasterChef. These are extremely valuable properties. Like when we say, which is true, we've generated $500 million, over $500 million, That's just worth of production. Right. The advertising on those shows, an acquaintance of mine who works in cable sales, so just this is just cable, it's not even broadcasting, was like, if you knew how much <laughs> your shows generated for these companies, you wouldn't be, Dave Noel, as happy <laughs> as I'm you sure are. there's some kind of factor, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's 10 times or 20 times or 100 yeah, times, but I'm sure lot. I'm sure the networks know that if we have a successful series, yeah. that it, it's going to equate to this much in ad revenue, and it's going to be some factor of whatever the cost of the show is. These shows, the huge moneymaker, really, are the repeats, chopped repeats really well. I don't make a dime when it airs the second time. America says on the Game Show Network, it airs now 75 times a week. There's five new episodes this week, 70 repeats. In any industry, there's obviously a lot of money to be made, thinking as broad and big as possible. But it never hurts to make a lot of money for a lot of people. Eventually, that even helps you. Good karma, right? Good karma. So I've also seen you talk about there is no fear, right? I've seen you talk about that. What is that all about? Can you share that with our listeners? I hear so much, especially in entrepreneur circles, especially in sales. Well, I'm afraid to do this because of X, Y, and Z, or I tried this and I'm afraid, especially in television. But I would say in any entrepreneur activity, in any sales activity, Not even that you have to face, like people say, well, you have to face down your fear. Just no, that's It's There is none, meaning there's nothing, there's no, there's no fear there. My favorite story about that is Stephen King, which is ironic because obviously he's Stephen King, the king of horror, (laughs) king of making you afraid. Right. But Stephen King talks about and has written about when he was a kid, he would write send submissions to these magazines. And we're talking like he's at this point, 12 years old, 13 years old. And he would submit to his favorite magazines, these stories that he would write. And he remembers the first rejection he got, because of course he got rejected. And he was so excited because the magazine wrote, and he was like, it was probably a form letter or whatever it was. He was so excited that they took him seriously enough to send him a letter. And he grabbed a nail at that point, he had these eaves over his bed, nailed the nail into the eaves and put the rejection letter above his bed 
First thing he saw every morning, last thing he saw at (laughs) night, his rejection, right? And then he would got a second one, and then he got a third one, and he said he got so many rejections that the nail wasn't big enough, and he had to use a then a hilarious, because it's Stephen King, a long (laughs) wooden spike that he banged into these eaves to put all the rejections on. And then he becomes Stephen King. Right. That to me is exactly, again, like an athlete where you strike out so many times that it's not a thing anymore. You just know. Again, if you're looking at our rejections and failures, it's amazing. It's overwhelming. It's constant. You cannot think of that as a rejection or a failure or a no or a pass or whatever that language that you've been taught is. Because that's what people are, quote, unquote, afraid of, right? They're afraid of a no or a pass or whatever. There is no fear. You have to think of it as this is just a step. Stephen King needed, you know, whatever it was, 200 steps, 200 rejection letters to get the one yes. But he needed those 200. So you can't think of it as rejection. You have to literally think of it as a step. I think of it as training. Yeah, or cupcakes, (laughs) it would be as if you got the eggs out and you got the milk out and then you were upset because the cupcakes aren't there. You're like, I did steps one and two and three. I don't have delicious cupcakes yet. Well, that's not the way it works. You have to actually go through about 40 steps to get delicious cupcakes. You have to mix the thing and make the thing and put the eggs in and whatever and mix the icing and create the icing and then put the icing on top and then do the sprinkle stuff That is a delicious cupcake, right? Every pass that we get, and by the way, as I say, sometimes it's crazy frustrating because you're looking for this. We're giving you the best version. (laughs) There is no one better at creating shows than Cleve and I. We're giving you the best version. We've been taught by Barry Diller. We have these hits, 50 plus series, and they're passing offhanded saying, you know, I mean, again, they say really mean things sometimes. It's funny, but you have to just think of that as... I had to take that step. There's no recipe like you have for the cupcakes where if you know you do these steps, you end up with the cupcakes. In business and in television or whatever, you don't have the luxury of having that recipe. So it's almost like you have to do what you know is right and put out what you know is good, show it to people. And until you find that right opportunity that, as we say in our firm, is a good fit, right? You want to make that's probably the very important you you may go to 10 people but nine and a half of them it's not a good fit the you know the the other one hey this is a great fit for what we're looking for and what we're doing and that you know it's like a big jigsaw puzzle where you have to find where that one piece fits absolutely and if you're afraid along the way of any of those steps of any of that rejection of any of those no's it's going to be terrible Probably going to have to find a different career, I exactly. would imagine, at some point. Exactly. So, there is well, no David, fear. Yeah, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. And we end every show by asking all of our guests the same question, which <laughs> is, what did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? <laughs> I have three daughters, so the answer is always hanging out with them. First of all, obviously, Having three kids is always an inspiration because you're like, they have to eat something and they have to go to college. (laughs) So that is always an inspiration. But I am very, very lucky that I have a wife who's been incredibly supportive of this crazy career, that I have three kids who think the career is kind of cool sometimes, (laughs) but are not obviously impressed by anything. 
And a woman that I work with, Cleve Keller, who we have, no matter what's going on, no matter how stressful it gets with lawyers and agents and deals and deal points, we can just create shows. And in about four minutes, we're both in the mindset of creativity and promise and success and a hundred million dollars around the world and a <laughs> franchise. All of that is like you f- immediately forget anything that's going wrong. You immediately forget anything that's stressful or bad or whatever. So I would say, what did I do today? I hugged my kids. <laughs> I laughed with them this morning. And uh, what I will do later today is at one point or another, I'm going to talk to Cleve and Cleve's going to be like, hey, I had this idea. Or I'm going to say, hey, I saw this thing. I have this idea. And that might be the next chopped. And it, All you right. Know. Well, hopefully I inspired you to do that. <laughs> but it's been great. We're going to have all your contact information in the show notes. But if people want to find you, what's a quick and easy way for them to do that? Please connect with me on LinkedIn. My goal this year is to share everything I've ever learned. So I'm doing multiple posts a week. So please connect with me and hopefully learn something. Awesome. David, it's been a pleasure. I've learned a lot today. So thank you for that. It's been a pleasure having you on the show and make it a great day. Thank you. I want to thank David Knoll for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. David has used his unique abilities to create some of the most successful television shows in history. This has led him to generate over a half a billion in sales, a feat many aspire to but never accomplish. David's ability to stay focused and tap his creativity is second to none and a large reason why he is so successful. David can be found across all social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find him can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.